I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest has been an anchor in European media for more than 40 years. Charles Grunheisen has been beloved and reliable as a public figure in the Dutch news media. He started in the mid-80s when he became the youngest chief correspondent ever to be stationed in Washington, D.C., overseeing all U.S. news for Dutch television. In the 90s, he became the anchorman for NOVA and the political program Eid Capital. Those were the two most important news shows on Dutch television at the time. And in 1996, Charles returned to the U.S. when he became the bureau chief for NOS TV and radio based in Washington. Nowadays, he is an independent writer, a speaker, a consultant, and he has written many columns and a number of best-selling books on American culture and politics. So why is he on slow-mo? Because Charles, with all the experience he has in news media, publicly states and believes that today's media can do better. That, I think, is a very interesting topic for us to discuss on slow-mo. Charles, thank you so much. You know, I told you many times I'm waiting for this one for a very long time because I think you're a rare breed. You're a journalist, but a journalist that doesn't want to embrace the basic, basic, basic premise of today's journalism, which is good news is not news, right? You're one that wants to actually make us see the good sides of life. I mean, I wonder how you kept your job for 40 years, to be honest, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, actually, I, I, I did change over the years. I started out in, in print, national newspaper, and I've been in TV now since 1984. And I changed over the years, and maybe it's also, you know, because I'm a parent. Our kids are in their mid-20s and everything. So you start thinking about their lives and your own life and their future. And then you say to yourself, doing the... Good news is no news is not a way to raise a family, for example, or to you know organize your life. So I, I did change actually also as a journalist, and, and not everybody agrees with me. This is such a beautiful place to start. I mean, you often in your public speeches and your TV work, you talk about journalism being almost like parenting. Like we are supposed to treat our children in a way that shows them what is good as a role model, right? When if you keep telling your children you're horrible, this is wrong, this is going to break, you're going to fail. You know, like my mom, when I was young, my mom would tell me, if you don't score an A, you're going to become a garbage collector for the rest of your life. And, you know, and, and those kind and look of... look what's become of you. <laughs> yeah, I did score the A, though. So <laughs> we can't disprove this theory, but uh, I love her. I love, I love that she was telling me to become more um, diligent. But was there a positive way of doing that? And journalism is just telling us all the time that everything is broken, everything is wrong, nothing's ever going to work, every politician is corrupt. Talk to us about this analogy. I mean, in a way, are we being raised by the media? 
Well, you know, the thing is, it's also a choice between long-term thinking and short-term. If you look short-term at, you know, the behavior of your kids, for example, they make mistakes and do stupid things. And they wet their pants and they come home too late or do stupid things as teenagers. That's the short-term. If you look at it long-term, I mean, you're pretty sure eventually, you know, thing, mostly things turn out pretty well. And if you keep telling you, as you said, if you keep telling your children what they're doing wrong, and by golly, they do a lot of things wrong in the first 20 years of their life, right? Mm -hmm. So if you keep telling them this is wrong and this is bad, suppose they come home with a report card and you don't tell them anything about their A's and B's and C's and only talk about, you know, if there's an F or a D or whatever, mm -hmm. you say, oh, that's wrong. And they say, but that, look at the report card. I have an A for math. I have a B for Spanish, whatever. That's great, isn't it? He said, no, 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 no. You say to your child, good news is no news. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. If you keep telling your kids only about their Fs or Ds or whatever is on their report card, they turn out to be miserable people when they grow up. Yeah. And they stop trying to get A's, by the way, because they're not noticed, right? Very often not. But as journalists, that's exactly what we're doing. We tell the world what is wrong in the world. And we look at it short term. It's like... A flash fire. If you put lightning fuel on your on your Weber grill, it's a, a big fire for two or three seconds. And your meat doesn't turn out very well. I mean, flash fire doesn't work. Flash fire doesn't work in your thinking about the future of the world, and it doesn't work in journalism. If you look long-term at developments, progress in the world is unbelievable and unprecedented in a lot of ways. It's undeniable. Even in this crisis with Corona and COVID and everything, of course, I know, I see it. I see people go under, entrepreneurs, friends of mine who go under, people get sick, people die, of course. But long term, there's enough reason for optimism, I think. So what do you mean? I mean, there is a, a couple of lenses by which you can look at the world. One of them is to say, we have Trump, we have Corona, we have climate change, we have AI coming up, we have all of those things. And that is a reason for pessimism, right? And the other way is, is to say, but look at how far we've come. I mean, exactly. yeah, life expectancy is at its highest. We've never been wealthier as humanity at large. You know, technology is allowing you and I to talk over invisible wires to have this wonderful conversation. There is a lot to celebrate. But isn't what we need a balanced view? I mean, I don't agree with journalism only focusing on the negative, but also focusing just on the positive doesn't make us change things or do anything right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are a few huge challenges for you and I and for the whole world. Climate, I think, is by far number one. Inequality is a big one. Here in Europe and also in the U.S., for example, immigration is going to be a huge, at least a huge political issue. Jobs, I mean, no doubt about it. But one of my favorite websites is Our World in Data. You may be familiar with it. Our World in Data looks at the last 200 years. And they talk about life expectancy, education, health. They talk about democracies. And I've done a lot of speeches about shortly after the turn of the century, about the 20th century. And I asked my audience, what is the defining issue in your view of the last century, the 20th century? And people came up with answers like, you know, the Holocaust, Second World War, decolonization, technology. And my answer is democracy. The rise of democracy. Imagine, Mo, I mean, after 1945, the world was in ruins, right? And shortly after 1945, the international community started building international institutions. Shortly after World War II, the number of democracies started to increase, and it kept increasing. Unbelievably. And democracy is the condition for 
human development. You and I know that. And it's unbelievable. Imagine asking people in 1945, what was this century like until now? Horrible. Two world wars, a pandemic, 100 years ago, a flu pandemic. And after 1945 and after 1950, a lot of things went really well. If you look at the 200-year statistics of our world and data, I strongly recommend it to people. You will see the progress. And the interesting thing is, in these 200 years, we had pandemics. We had World War I, World War II. And when you look at health and life expectancy, you see a little in these stats, you see a little blip. goes down yeah. and goes back up. Yeah. And it's not like it's going down like this. If you look at it in a journalistic way, it goes down incredibly. But if you look at it long term, it's just a blip, like with democracies, like with life expectancy, like you will see a dip in life expectancy after this pandemic with corona and COVID, right? But if you look at it long term, stay away from the flash fire, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> stay away from the flash fire and you see the long term progress. And you talked about Donald Trump and the election. I just finished the book, America After Donald Trump. I know, I want to talk about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is going to take a very big part of this conversation. I mean, okay. But let me just close on this point because this point to me is interesting. What you're saying here is, yeah, there will be little, you know, blips in the chart, but the chart overall is looking positive. Now, absolutely. Please don't get me wrong. I'm I'm the ultimate optimist, but I'm going to have to play the devil's advocate for the in favor of our listeners who need a little bit of convincing. I mean, at the end of the day, someone could say, I've, I've been watching the untold history of uh, the United States by uh, Oliver Stone. And um, it's quite shocking. I mean, if you think of the casualties of the Cold War, if you think of the casualties of unnecessarily dropped nuclear bombs, if you think of some of those focus points, Regardless if the overall curve is going upwards, these are unacceptable acts of humanity. And how do we, I mean, is what you're saying we should accept those because they are the cost of progress? You know, it's probably inevitable. I mean, we had two atomic bombs in 1945. And after that, luckily, although people, we had the atomic clock, it was counting down to zero. But after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we didn't have any new nuclear bombs. Uh, but yeah, of course. I mean, it's never a straight path from, you know, from here to eternity and just progress. No, of course not. Like we're in a pandemic now with a lot of people going under and dying, getting sick and losing their businesses and losing their work. It's terrible. But long term, there is progress. And in a way, you know, crises very often turn out to be a catalyst for change and a catalyst for good change and positive change. I believe that. It's a very simple example. Our 26-year-old daughter lives in San Francisco, works for Airbnb. And, you know, right after the pandemic struck, although, you know, Donald Trump said it's not a problem, but it seriously was a problem also for Airbnb, right? But they turn around. And the turnaround is people no longer go for four or five days on a safari to Swaziland or to the beaches of Bali. They still go on trips for five days, but, you know, just a couple of hours driving from San Francisco, wherever they are. And they still need a place to stay. Correct. So that's the new business model of, of Airbnb. Provide people with housing and rooms closer to home. That's the difference. And that's yeah. progress. They don't longer fly 10, 12, 13 hours just to spend a couple of days on the beach. Come on, stop it. Yeah. So that's the catalyst for change. And in a lot of ways, unless you're working for an airline, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's probably going to change for good in a way. Our younger son lives in New York, works for Walmart.com. Booming business. 
Of course. Of course, there are a lot of business going on. It's booming business. You know the online business. You've worked for Google for a long time. You know what's going on. So these guys, you know, they're growing like crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and in an interesting way, I will have to say, as much as people dislike me when I say that, it's healthy for our planet. So when you go to vacations that are two hours away instead of 13 hours in an aeroplane, that's better for everyone. Exactly. Right? And by the way, the beach is still the beach. It's just the advertising and, and media work that positioned Thailand to be such an extraordinary experience that you couldn't live without it. But if you look, for example, at technology, during the Second World War, during the crisis of the 1930s in the last century, technology developed rapidly, new products, new developments. I mean, it was really also a catalyst for positive change. Of course, we had a Holocaust, and it was a horrible time. But at the same time, it was a catalyst for change. And that's what I'm trying to say in, in also in my, in my work as a journalist. Of course, I mean, I'm not denying problems. I'm not denying the climate problem, although... Suppose we had this climate problem 100 years ago. <laughs> there is a yeah. way out. We have technology. We developed clean cars. We developed clean technology. There is an international framework. I mean, Trump is stepping out of it, but the rest of the world is still going on. I mean, the Paris Accord is a great example, right? Donald Trump you know, left the Paris Climate Accord. Okay, good for him. The rest of the world said, we stay. And a lot of U.S. states actually said, we stay. We stick to the treaty. We still try to make cars cleaner, have clean energy and everything. What the heck, the president, we stay, we continue our work. So that's, in my view, the positive message here. It's horrible that the United States left the Paris Accord, in my view. But at the same time, it's also a catalyst because other people said, get a grip, we stay, we continue this work. I want to talk about many, many, many topics and try for you and I, again, I'll just play the devil's advocate. I'm statement of fact here, everyone listening. I am the most optimistic person you'll ever meet. I know for sure from my personal experience that life goes on and even gets better after tough times, right? Yeah. You're a great example for a lot of people, Mo. You're a great example and inspiring. Oh, thank you, Charles. I mean, it is true. It is fact. Now, we know your story. I mean, I, I take my hat off. Really. Thank you. And I, and I really think our world, if you really think about it, is going through one of those stories. So we are globally together going through a very tough moment of loss, if you want, okay? Whether you take COVID-19, whether you take the Trump administration, which a lot of people think is a disaster on a lot of fronts, whether we take climate change and so on. And I, I want to touch on those topics to try and show people the optimistic side of it. So let's start with Trump. Your book basically talks about a world beyond Trump. And once again, that's focusing on the long term. So we're trying to say, forget this instant, which is mixed in many ways. Let's talk about the long term. What's your long term view of this? Well, you know, I look at recent history in order to look forward. And the recent history shows us that the majority of American people want another America, want the U.S. with more equality, want the U.S. with an active climate policy. They do want Obamacare. They do want some kind of a health plan. Every civilized country in the world has some kind of a health plan for everybody. But it's the UK, whether it's hard. I mean, everybody has such a plan. The only exception, the outlier is the United States here. A lot of people in America really want stricter gun laws. Just go to Gallup.com and type in gun laws, type in whatever you type in, and you will see a clear, clear majority of Americans do want change do want to change in a progressive direction. 
without, you know, starting a, you know, People's Republic of the United States, like Donald Trump wants <laughs> yeah. to tell us all the time, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's not the kind of being progressive that Joe Biden and a lot of Democrats have in mind. Americans really want another kind of America. The only problem is that the system right now, the political system, prevents them, has prevented them from actually, you know, grabbing power and trying to actually execute those progressive policies. One simple example, the Senate is crucial now, for example, in Supreme Court selection uh, of candidates. If you look at the numbers, the Republicans have a majority, 53 majority, 53 seat, and the Democrats have 47. If you look at the number of votes these folks got, the Democrats had about in three election cycles, 2014, 16, and 18, because every single time one-third of the Senate gets elected. The Democrats had about 120 million votes over those three cycles and had 47 seats. The Republicans had less than 100 votes and had 53 seats. It's just not fair. That's the way it is, right? I mean, I'm, it's not going to change that system. But it tells you something about, about what Americans yeah. really want. The majority wants a more progressive more equal, more just country. And they're really longing for it. The big question is whether they're going to succeed in getting it on November 3rd. And so when an administration like Donald Trump shows into a country with a majority wanting something different, what is this creating? Is it creating some kind of a pressure cooker that over time will end up, like you sometimes say, with a, a more progressive America? Eventually, you know, demography is on the side of Democrats. Demographics is on the side of progressive thinking Americans. Like in 2045, which is about one generation from now, more than 50% of the U.S. will be non-white, will be of color, some kind of color, African-Americans, Latino, Asian, whatever. And you know, the majority of these folks vote Democratic. If you look at the younger generation, my children, the mid-20s, the millennials, Generation Z, they don't give a damn about preachers saying you cannot do this and you have to do that. They don't care. I mean, they're independent thinking kids. And the majority of these kids vote democratic, vote progressive. They do want that more equal and more just America. I'm really optimistic. I cannot say, you know, what's going to happen on November 3rd. If you look at the behavior of the Republicans right now and President Trump, they look pretty desperate. If you really actively suppress people and try to prevent them from voting, that looks like a pretty desperate attitude, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is the worst parenting you can do. It's like, you know what? You're grounded. Don't do anything about it. No, don't this. vote. Yeah, don't, don't vote. vote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with kids. If you ground kids, that doesn't make them happy and it doesn't make you happy either. But can I be a bit controversial here? So, mm -hmm. so we, we value democracy. I, by the way, I have no political views at all. I'm not interested in politics at all. Just, again, as a statement of introduction for everyone listening. I, however believe that there is a big lie in democracy because in a way we want the premise of democracy is amazing. This is what humans want, right? But at the end of the day, we don't really have democracy. If you look at the reality of what's happening in the US, would you actually call that democracy at all? 50-50. Uh, <laughs> Part is money, of course. Although, you know, you see now, I mean, the, the amount of money Joe Biden is raking in is pretty amazing. And people always say, no, the Republicans have more money because they have the fat cats, you know, giving money to GOP candidates. And right now, actually, one race that's already won, so far at least, by Joe Biden is the money race because he rakes in way more money than this. That's not my point. My point is you have a general majority that wants something, but a country that does the opposite, that's actually not democracy. That means that the premise of democracy is not functioning. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if, if I compare the U.S. system with the system we have here in Holland, one man, one vote, one woman, one vote. If you have more votes, you get more seats in parliament. Pretty simple. 
it's not like that in the US. That's the way it is. I mean, it's it's hard to change that. But, you know, more and more people actually are complaining about it. But, you know, I'm sorry, that's the way it is. But if you look, for example, Mo, at the 2018 midterm elections, that was a resounding victory for the Democrats, particularly in the House. They got their majority back. And why? Because the turnout was higher. And I expect, actually, if you look at the first signs of, of turnout, you know, with people actually are going to polling stations already and sending in their mail ballots, the turnout will be extremely high. And traditionally, a high turnout is favorable for Democrats. It's so, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, I will hope that we don't have another term of this, to be honest. I mean, I don't know what else is coming, but uh, I do know that this last administration has not been good for our world. I mean, regardless of America and the stock market being at an all-time high and so on, I think we have lots of issues. And those issues, again, in a time of so much uncertainty, are probably the, the wrong issues. But, you know, one, one thing about uh, progress, Mo, I mean, I've been correspondent in the U.S. two times. My first term as a correspondent in Washington started in 1986. It was Reagan years, right? If you would have told me, Charles, you know, I mean, it's not going to be very long before we have gay marriage in this country. I would have said, you're out of your mind. It's not going to happen. Not in this country for a number of reasons. You and I know, right? Because it's a very Christian, conservative country. It's just not going to happen. It did happen. It did happen. And eventually, you know, the famous words, we the people, right? First words of the U.S. Constitution, which is so important. We the people eventually get their way. I'm absolutely convinced and the Republicans and Trump and his successors are not going to stop the people from actually executing their power and might as we the people. I'm optimistic about it. Damn, you're seriously optimistic. How can I break you? Yeah. I mean, like, I need you can't. <laughs> I need to find something. But stay away from the flash fire of, of today's and yesterday's news about Trump saying crazy things. Forget about him for a little bit and focus on the long term. As I said, demographics are in favor of progressive thinking people. That's the way it is. I mean, it's just the numbers. Brookings had a great report out a couple of months ago about that in 2045, US will be majority non-white. That's huge. That but is it's huge. a huge threat for Republicans who actually say, you know, all these immigrants, people of color, we don't like them. And if we can, we'd like to kick out immigrants and fugitives. I mean, that's their approach. And they actually scare off people who are going to make a more progressive America possible. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a huge issue either way because it moves the, the balance of power, but it also moves the balance of power to a more oppressed, if you want. And we'll come back and talk about equality because, again, that's an incredibly important topic. But staying with politics, I mean, I know that one of your favorite quotes of all American history is Martin Luther King's, if you can't fly, then run. So the idea of moving forward, what does that mean to you? Well, you mentioned Martin Luther King, and there's a lot of bad news about African-Americans. They're discriminated against. They have the poorer jobs and education. But at the same time, oh, if you look at progress, for example, in education, if you look at the statistics of higher education for African-American students, that hasn't exploded in the last 25 years. It has exploded both for male and female African-Americans. It's unbelievable. If you look at the number of African-American entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, particularly women, a lot of African-American women, very successful in business, very successful in starting their own businesses. That's incredible. Martin Luther King would be proud of them. Are all the problems solved? No, of course not. I'm not blind. I see it. I can hear it. I've seen the uh, huge demonstrations, 95%, of, by the way, totally peaceful. 
Of course, there's a lot of grief, a lot of injustice. Absolutely. But the progress is also undeniable. And you and I focus on progress, focus on the positive perspective. You that have done it in your personal life, in my approach to, you know, in this case, American politics and American society, I try to focus on the positive stuff. And there's plenty of it. There's seriously, there's plenty of it. But then hold on. I mean, seriously, I'm not even just acting pessimistic here, but the injustice that minorities get discriminated against, me being one of them, by the way, I mean, like Muslim born, you know, raised in, in the Middle East, it's a much harder struggle to get accepted anywhere, to get anyone to read a book that wants to spread happiness. It doesn't even matter that, you know, it's a positive contribution to the world, but you'll always get resistance. You get resistance because of the conditioning, because of the way some of us have been raised to discriminate. Now, in my culture, where we come from, I think it stems for actually originally from Islam, there is absolutely no difference between a human and another human, male, female, man, woman, color, shade of darkness. It doesn't matter. We don't even see those things. What matters is your positive contributions, your good deeds in the world, right? This is how you value someone. Now, that I have to say is not the state of our world. The state of our world is so wrong in valuing people for the stupidest of all traits. Yes, yes and no. I see what you're saying, and I see the injustice. I see the discrimination. I see inequality, particularly for minorities. But at the same time, as I just mentioned, I see the statistics of people of minorities doing well, developing themselves, and actually grabbing the chances they get and taking advantage of the opportunities they get. Do I deny the bad stuff? No, of course not. I mean, when I say that I don't like the uh, good news is no news the attitude of a lot of journalists, you don't have to turn it around and say there's only good news. No, of course not. It's never a straight path towards progress. It's never a straight path towards the horizon. Of course not. And right now, actually, with Corona and, and you know all the, all the stuff going on with cities and demonstrations and everything, of course. I mean, that's worrisome, very worrisome. And I'm actually worried about... More and more, if you Google and type U.S. elections civil war, a lot of people are talking about the potential civil war breaking out after November 3rd. Yeah. And I'm truly worried about it. And that's not something to be optimistic about or, you know, have, of course not. It's a terrible perspective. And that makes you sad. It makes me sad. I mean, I love, I love the U.S. We've lived there for over 20 years. Our kids grew up there. I truly love it. It's my second home country. But the long-term perspective, people try to truly try to make things better. And, you know, that's why I gave the title to my book, America After Donald Trump, because there's going to be an America after Donald Trump. I mean, so the statistics of progress, you know, a businessman like me would say is a result of starting from a small base. If you had two graduates that were African-American and you make them four, that's 100% growth. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are reaching a point where there is an actual equal opportunity. Do you believe that to be true? It, it is not. Yeah. There's not. As of now, no, there's not. There is tremendous progress, but it's not equal. If you look at, for example, the whole college scandal with you know rich kids uh, paying tons of money to get into Harvard and Princeton, means horrible. It's a shame. If you look at the statistics between, let's say, white students and African American students, that's totally unequal. But don't deny the progress. I mean, progress makes people hopeful, right? In personal life, I agree. Uh, and in cases like this, if you don't want to look at the bright side, I mean, I see the bright side in the background here. There's a sun coming up. <laughs> but if you don't want to focus on those statistics, and very often they are denied. People talk about, you know, the way African-Americans are treated badly, and it's all true. But at the yeah. same time, their position 
on average, if you average it out, their position is better than it was 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it's way better uh, if you compare it with, you know, the years that Martin Luther King was active. The way I look at things normally is, again, we started in a very interesting place. We're saying the media is sort of conditioning us as the parents telling us things. And if you if the media yeah. tells us the positive things, we can make better decisions. Those better decisions, what, what would you recommend for people in America today? Like I have quite a, a large audience of, of listeners that must be listening from the United States now. What can they do to make a better America after November 3rd? Well, keep hope alive, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I totally say agree, 100%. And of course, vote, please vote, both for president and Congress and for your local officials and everything. Do vote and tell other people to vote. But I would recommend is try to shift your focus from short term to long term. And if you participate in demonstrations, please try to focus on the more long term perspective that actually is there. I try to explain it in my book. And when I talked about demographics, when I talk about better chances for minorities. That's the long-term perspective. If you look only at short-term, you see the riots, you see people get arrested, you see George Floyd, right? Of course, and it's horrible. But at the same time, if you keep a more long-term perspective and, and take a few steps back, like you have to do with raising your children, few steps back, you're angry, they do stupid things, few steps back, wait and see what's happening, and eventually it'll turn out pretty well. So I would recommend to look more at the long term. I mean, go to Gallup.com. I truly would recommend it. And of course, our world in data statistics. If you yeah. go to Gallup and again, type in these, you see the long term progress. For example, gay marriage is, I already mentioned it. Right now, about 70% of American people say gay marriage, it's fine. They may not like it. I don't know. If 70% of American people say, yes, I'm in favor of gay marriage. It's there, but it's also in favor of it. They're no longer against it. It's no longer the homosexuals are to blame for all the bad stuff going on in the world, like Jerry Falwell used to say. <laughs> 70% is in favor of gay marriage. That means, Mo, that about 20% of the 70% must be Republicans. And they were against gay marriage. You bet they were against gay marriage. And that's changing, not from today to tomorrow, but it's a long-term development that's unstoppable. And that's so interesting, in my view, when you talk about this more progressive trend in the United States, folks, it's unstoppable. It's, you know, in a way, the, Repu the Republicans are stuck in the 20th century. They missed the exit to the 21st century. It just makes you laugh, really. It makes you laugh. It makes you laugh how, how people thought 15 years ago. It's like, what's wrong with everyone? It's like, why would you want to tell anyone what to do? What's wrong with you? Like, exactly. you know, I had, I interviewed here on slow-mo, I interviewed uh, Alain de, de Baton. We had a wonderful conversation. And the idea is gay or straight or whatever, sex is weird. Like if you really think about it, I don't think anyone is like the other. There is nothing normal about sex. There is no way you can say, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. I just don't understand why people give themselves the right to say, I know, and everyone else should comply. I, I just never got that concept. It's really weird. I remember about gay marriage, one example. I remember in, in 2008, Barack Obama was still, you know, he was not truly in favor in 2008, and he campaigned on the civil union stuff. Then in 2012, he changed his mind, as you probably remember. And, you know, said, and first Joe Biden, his vice president, said we're in favor of gay marriage, and then Obama said it as well. And at some point, our daughter was about 16 at the time, and I asked her, you know, Francine, are you guys talking about gay marriage at all? Because it was a huge issue. And I was just interested to hear from her. How do, you know, kids that age talk about gay marriage? And a typically 16-year-old, she forgot. I told her later, she forgot. It's like the 16-year-old, <gasps> rolling eyes, dead. 
what the heck is the deal here? What's going on? I mean, it's not an issue. And that is so interesting. You know, 16-year-olds totally oblivious about gay marriage. What do you mean? What's the issue here? They don't have a clue. And that's another reason to be optimistic because this younger generation, I wrote in my book, I mean, Republicans want to go back to the time of Archie Bunker. You know Archie Bunker? No. Who's Archie Bunker? All, all in the Family, the famous TV series with the white, yeah. racist, yeah, yeah. anti-Semitic, terrible. It was a great series, by the way. Politically totally incorrect, but it was really funny. And in a way, they want to go back to Archie Bunker. And the new generation, the younger generation says, no, thank you, but no, thank you. And that's not going to change. Yeah. It's not like, you know, this will change overnight. It will change in the next couple of years. This is unstoppable. And that's yeah. so great about demographics. And it's unstoppable. You can do a little tweak, you know, with some immigrants more or less. I don't care. Demographics is fixed for yeah. the next 30, 40 years. That's so great about it. I think you would agree that we probably want to chat with Charles a little longer. So I'll stop this episode here. And when we get together on the next episode, we will continue to look at that idea of the power of a positive message, optimism, data-driven approach. And we will look at topics that are as unexpected as what we spoke about today. We will look at gay marriage, you know, we had the young generation's preferences and different types of relationships. We'll talk about social media and fake news. And then hopefully I'll be asking Charles openly about his opinion on Donald Trump. Will he be elected again or will he not? So don't miss it. It's going to be a very interesting continuation of this conversation. And before you go, let me remind you to do your part so that we spread this message to a few thousands more with one click on your side. Please do take the time to rate this podcast five stars. Find me on social media, mo underscore gaudet on Instagram, mo gaudet on LinkedIn, mo.gaudet.personal on Facebook, and mgaudet on Twitter. Tell me what you think of how we're doing here. Tell me what else would you like to see. And do spread the message and tell others. Our aim here is together to reach as many as people as possible with a message that either helps us be better on the inside or make our world better. Thank you so much for giving me the alibi to talk to so many interesting people. I love you all for listening, and I will be with you next time.